went to a lot of networking events, I come out feeling more lonely, right? Like I didn't feel, I was like, this is not like, no one, everybody's here just to make money. And I'm like, I just want to make, I want to build relationships because that'll lead to partnerships. That'll lead to yeah. connections. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I am just coming back from PodFest and reinvigorated with this podcasting love that I have. And there is no better guest to be able to kick this back off with than the guest I have today, which is Latanya Wilkins. She's the founder of Change Coaches, where she partners with executive leaders and their team to build cultures of belonging through one-on-one -on -one and team coaching, as well as culture academies, where assessments, customized workshops, and coaching are combined to address clients' cultural challenges. Latanya is also the author of Leading Below the Surface, How to Build Real psychologically safe relationships with people who are different than you. And this is one of the things that I'm really, really excited to dig into with her because we all could benefit from more of that conversation. She's a sought after keynote speaker who has inspired audiences around the world. She seeks to challenge leaders at every level to disrupt the way that we think about leadership and to create cultural change where it truly happens, which is below the surface. She is on the advisory board of the women of color in the workplace, a strategic part partner of Lean In and has been featured in publications including Well and Good, NPR Inc., Magazine, and Fast Company. I'm super excited to be able to jump into a conversation with Latonia. Before we do that, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions and the Design Your Life Mastermind. If you are somebody who is ready to level up to that next level, if you're somebody who knows that you kind of have all the pieces in place, but you just can't figure out why everything isn't clicking for you, then this is what will help you get to that level. We're going to dig into why you see the world the way that you do. We're going to dig into what tools and resources you need to go to the next level. We're going to address all those mindset and real world challenges that keep you stuck in the life that you're trying to get out of. If that sounds like something that you'd like to have a conversation about, head over to successdevelopmentsolutions.com slash contact and book some time on my calendar so that we can find out what you need in order to get to the next level in your life. With that being said, let's go ahead and jump into this conversation with Latonya. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for um, your flexibility, jumping on the call with me. We've been trying to get this scheduled for a minute and due to scheduling <laughs> issues. So I appreciate yeah. you. Yeah, me too. I mean, you know how it goes, right? <laughs> always, always. We were just talking before we went on air about all of the um, things that kind of get in the way sometimes right. and, and travel and busy and all that stuff. So um, before we really, really dig into the 
really good stuff about leadership and differences and connection and all of that, why not let everybody learn a little bit about you? So I always like to start by figuring out where your head was at when you were younger, when you were 12, 13, 14, and thought we knew everything about the world. What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh my gosh, that is so hard. Uh, <laughs> I remember my first memory. Um, I wanted to be a firefighter and that was during my, my preschool years. You know, what's really funny too is also during my preschool years, I told my mom that I wanted to be a boy. Oh <laughs> and, my gosh. And it's funny, I don't feel that way anymore. But um, I think just growing up with two big brothers, it was that was kind of what what I always wanted. I, I spent so much time with them. Yeah. And so um, but yeah, I, I think I I would say that I was always inspired by my grandma and the light that she brought into the world. So I knew I wanted to improve the world. Like I knew that at that point, when 12 years old, going back to that, I wasn't fitting in at school. I was eating lunch by myself. Um, you know, I was made fun of by everyone pretty much. And so I, I knew that I wanted to help the world. Um, I think it's really interesting in um, a couple of different ways. I mean, first of all, you are helping the world in amazing ways now, which is really cool. We're going to get into that. Um, I find it interesting and a little bit unfortunate that there's this thought process when we're younger that we have to choose directions, right? And so um, <laughs> I, when you say like you wanted to be a firefighter and then you told, um, was it your grandma that you wanted to be a boy? Is that what you said? Your grandma? Or your yeah, it was, it's actually, it's funny. It was uh, one of my preschool projects. Okay. And it had the firefighter and the boy. Maybe I associated firefighters Maybe. I don't know. Um. <laughs> I'm curious to know, firefighter, when you think back on it now, what about being a firefighter do you think attracted your little brain? Yeah, you know, I think it connects back to just helping the world. Um, yeah. You know, I would see, you know, different shows and cartoons of firefighters going in, risking your lives, having this amazing equipment um, and pulling out everything from like animals to like uh, people, right? Yeah. And so I, they were always also really nice. Um, I grew up in a small town in Iowa and the firefighters were, were always really nice. They would let me ride in their engine and, and all of that. And so, um, yeah, it's just, you know, what's real, so interesting, we're on this conversation, but uh, last week I was talking to a friend and I didn't realize that most firefighters were volunteers. So yeah. I have no idea. Isn't so, that crazy? Yeah. Like yep. I kind of, I, I put the association together because you think like volunteer fire department, that's what you hear. I don't know what I thought volunteer meant in that right. name, but I certainly didn't mean, think it meant like free. I didn't realize that they didn't get paid for a lot of it. They don't get paid. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, and it, that kind of resurrected the thought of, Hey, second career, maybe something Especially pays forest you? fires. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. it's a yeah. it's an important conversation to yeah. have. And this is something that I think gets lost, especially in the coaching space, is everybody's like, what would you do if nobody paid you? And and to me, I'm like, nothing. Like the, the, <laughs> I know that sounds so horrible, but like that. there's when I talk to people and they're like, 
well, for me, it's not about the money. I'm like, you're never going to make it then. Like it has to be, it can't be all about the money, but the money has to matter, right? It has to. So I assume, and this may be a wrong assumption, but I'm going to say it anyways. I assume you didn't go from firefighter to the complete other end of the spectrum and go coach and um, (laughs) author. So what was kind of a couple of the building blocks in between there that connect the dots between five-year-old firefighter and the amazing transformational leader you are now? I never thought I would write a book. You know, it's so funny (laughs) because... People, you know, they kind of exoticize writers and romanticize All day. that whole thing. Um, but I, I actually uh, took a lot of writing classes in undergrad, and um, I was I was almost a journalism major, and I decided not to be. But I did take a lot of literary criticism courses um, and just general writing classes uh, at the writers' workshop at the University of Iowa, which was okay. the best. And so. Uh, But I could just tell the hard life authors had from an early age. And so I kind of abandoned that. um, And I was like, oh, I'm going to go help the world. Like I said, I always had this mindset of helping the world. And so I started off in like social services. And I was like, this is where I'm going to help the world. And I realized (laughs) after like two months in social services, I was not helping the world. I was just contributing to more and more to broken systems and just putting patches patches on the holes in these broken systems and just helping people that way. Um, But it wasn't systemically helping anyone. And I didn't really like that. I didn't think the organization was really making large scale change. And so then I was like, I always liked business. um, And, but I was ashamed of it because at that age, um, and I love when you talk about, because it's like how our mindsets, but I always loved business. I was always fascinated with business and innovation, um, sold golf balls, um, you know, we, we lived across the street from a golf course. Um, and as a young kid, I sold golf balls and I had my own business, I, you know, lemonade stands, but the golf balls were really my thing. Um, also Girl Scouts, brownie cookies, but the golf balls were my favorite. And so I wanted to try my hand in business. Uh, and so I, yeah, I did that and then went to business school, ended up with a corporate career. Um, during that corporate career, climbing that ladder. I didn't fit in in many dimensions. I was really sick of it. Um, Diversity, equity, inclusion, like those programs didn't help me. And I am like the poster child for it. But I was like, (laughs) this is so crazy. Like, why is this not helping me? And again, like my grandmother was always that light and she was always really good at just building real connections with people that were different from her. And so she was just, through her inspiration, through my workplace experiences. And then also I ending up at a business school and leading culture and leadership at a, at a business school um, and being in front of these scholars, that's when it all came together. Like, oh, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, I, I'm supposed to be a coach. So I started, you know, I went to ICF training, coactive training, um, other coach trainings, came a coach. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be a career coach. I was like, this is not what I want. <laughs> and then you. I just had to figure it out. And it just led to I led to the book and um, the book has been so well received because I'm just very vulnerable in that book. And I talk about, I tell it how it is. I, I tell, I tell it how it is about diversity. I have a feeling that. that you're not capable of any other way. Um, <laughs> you definitely come across as, you know, there, there are just some of those people that you never have to worry about whether or not they're going to tell you exactly what they think. Um, and I find you as one of those people, which is a total compliment. It's hard to, you know, I had, I had a friend reach out to me probably two months ago 
And he's like, I need an honest opinion and I know you'll give me one. And I was like, um, that's probably one of the best compliments I've ever received, mm -hmm. right? Like we worked yeah. so hard to get to that yeah. point. Um, I want to dig into a couple of different things that popped up while you were talking that um, I'm interested because this is a perspective that I don't think we've ever gotten on the show before. Literary courses and being an author. So I'm curious, did the more you know really turn out to be useful? Like, did you find that you had so much information in your head when you were writing your book that you almost wish that you knew nothing and could just put your thoughts on paper? Okay, so the first question, did everything that I knew help me? Not really, no. Um, <laughs> what helped me was, uh, while I was writing my book, I was cleaning up the basement and I found a bunch of essays that I'd written oh. in college. And what was really encouraging was the feedback that I received from, like, even when I was like 19, 20 years old, from these renowned writers in this writer's workshop. And so that I had a lot of imposter syndrome. Like even now I'm like, eh, you know, I'm not a professional writer. And people are like, you're an author. And I'm like, I know, but I didn't like, <laughs> I'm not like a real, I'm not like a journalist, you know? Cause again, I have a lot of appreciation for writers that are, well, I mean, everybody thinks they could be a writer and it just, that's why so much writing sucks. Right. And I'm just going to keep it real, but it's yeah, true. it's okay. I mean, I, I learned how to write and, you know, I would I would say I could write a fiction book, but nonfiction, I'd do okay. But yeah, I mean, what I I learned, I think that's what helped me from the past is like being able to go back and learning that I could write in a way that resonated with people. Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. And I've never put that together before. Um, the, like, I've always just thought of books as books, even though I read all different kinds of books. But I'll tell you what, those fiction authors, man, like they have a whole different level mm -hmm. of yeah. creativity. Like right. it's insane to me. Right, like, right, right. I'm like, I just got to be honest and put all of my struggles down on paper and be like, look, relate to me. I'm human. And they have to like create a whole new world that mm -hmm. we all want to live in. So I'm curious from the literary background and the literary aspect, where do you think those two worlds collide? Like, where do you think that the entertainment value of a personal development or um, biographical or business type book meets with the creative and almost world producing, yeah. you know, fiction style? I will tell you that, in my book, what I've heard is are the stories I tell. I mean, um, and that's where it collides. It's like the stories I tell, the way I tell those stories, um, the vulnerability I include in those stories, which, um, I mean, if you're looking at me and you're, you're, you're watching this live, you could see that I'm different, right? I look different than a lot of people. And so um, I talk about that. And uh, people have said that they could even, they feel like they're sitting there with me and that they've experienced this too. So I think it's in how we tell stories. Mm -hmm. um, fiction's different in that it's an imaginary story, but nonfiction is, you know, you could tell a lot of real stories um, and really connect to the emotions of other people through that storytelling. Yeah, I think that's um, a huge point of it. And even though the stories are real versus non-real, um, being able to portray that story in a way that somebody who's reading it and not listening to it will understand is a pure art form. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Um, you had mentioned something about loving business and being ashamed of it. And I wanted to get into that a little bit more. <laughs> what about, like, what did you mean by that? To get, let, what did you mean by that? Yeah. So when I was an undergraduate, uh, I kind of got into this group that, um, we didn't, we didn't really like the business people. We didn't like the business students, uh, because all they cared about was money and burning down the world. And there are all these scandals and, um, <laughs> you know, there's still a lot of that. Um, but when I, um, as I went through life, I started seeing that there's a such thing as a social entrepreneur. And then I kind of kept going further and further. I mean, we're, we're, um, becoming a certified B Corps. We're looking into that, but, um, yeah, that's what I thought. And that's, that's kind of the impression and the experience I had is that, um, you know, the business school folks would come out of college with the highest salaries and, and doing the least amount of work or working tons of hours, but not really doing anything meaningful. And so that was kind of like the, ev I've kind of crossed into the evil side. Um, <laughs> when you think about a lot of the people that, that I associated with. How does somebody who um, has that mindset end up climbing a corporate ladder? Because that seems so backwards. Like what field were you in when you were in the corporate world? So I led leadership development and talent teams mm. and culture, people and culture. So anything related to people and culture I was doing. Um, but, um, you know, it, I was able to make that work with my values Mm -hmm. um, to a certain degree. And I talk about that in the book. Um, there are some things I wasn't able to work and that's why I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. Um, but there are some things that like, for example, I was creating careers for people. I was developing, um, yeah, I was doing leadership development and making that accessible to underrepresented folks. Um, one of the companies I, I worked in, I mean, literally I did a lot of succession planning globally and there, sometimes we'd be in those meetings and out of hundred people, there were like two women, right. That were, were actually in that pool. And so it was just dire circumstances. And so that was kind of the role that I took on was like, um, you know, I went to business school cause I really wanted to learn the ins and outs of business, took a lot of entrepreneur classes. And then I, like I said, I discovered social entrepreneurship and I'm like, okay, what could I do with this? I'm going to come back to this at some point in my career and see how I can use business to change the world. Man, I love that. So a lot of people that listen to podcasts and this show in particular are kind of in that transformational point where I think they're hitting the limit of their values they're willing to sacrifice for a career. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe they've never even had this conversation before and they are opening up to the fact that it doesn't have to be this miserable all the time. For, for you, what was kind of the gap between the moment that you started to feel this isn't working for me and the moment that it got so uncomfortable that you felt like you could make a change? What did that gap look like? Oh, that's a good question. One of those corporate jobs, I was loving that job. Then my boss left, my boss's boss left. And all of a sudden, um, I was kind of pushed to the margins. Um, but I was still doing great work and uh, walked to a performance review and all of a sudden, suddenly I was a bad performer. <laughs> I was just like, are you serious? And it was so interesting <laughs> because that day hadn't happened to me yet, but I knew that day would happen because I'd heard so many stories 
And I'm like, that hasn't happened to me yet. It's been more passive aggressive, you know, but I was like, one day this is going to happen. And it did. And um, so, yeah, I, I went outside and I cried and I called my old boss that had left. And um, I think in that day I was like, gosh, I don't really have to do this. Like, you know, and I was in, a, I live in Chicago. So, you know, I was, I was in Chicago in a park and I saw all these people with all these lives and smiling and just looking happy and um, just doing what they want to do. And I was like, I can do that. I can do that. And just that almost happened right at the right time. I know that sounds cliche, but at that point, um, yeah, I, that's when I actually ended up going to work at a, at a business school. Um, but, um, you know, before that, I was talking to a lot of tech companies and, um, you know, I got a couple of offers, but this was the direction I went in and people would say, that's the biggest mistake. You can't leave the corporate ship. And I was yes. like, yeah, I was like, I don't know. I'm feeling pretty good about it. And look what it led to. So <laughs> I guess they were wrong. You know, it's so interesting because it's always that thing that feeds our soul that we decide to do. And somebody from the outside mm -hmm. saying, no, you can't do that. That's right. not the right choice. Right. And for so long we listen and I've seen it in so many different ways and I've experienced it. Um, as an attorney, everybody who's not an attorney is like, how could you ever leave being an attorney? And everybody who oh. is an attorney is like, please tell me how you got out. <laughs> right. Like, teach right, me right, oh wise right. one um and my brother i remember one year my brother was in college this was probably oh i don't know 15 years ago and he was in college always been a student he was bartending and while he was bartending a guy came up to his bar and said hey i've been watching you and you have this amazing incredible personality i run this sales program for the summer i'd love for you to come work with me and my brother was like, I'm leaving college. I'm going to go move to this state I've never been to. I'm going to sell insecticides door to door for this guy. And we were like, this is an awful idea. And now it's so funny. We'll sit around a campfire and laugh. And we're like, thank God he didn't listen to us. Cause like came yeah. home with like yeah. six figures for a summer. And like, it's always that thing where, and, and, and the, the reason I bring this up is because there's always those haters Mm -hmm. that are truly lovers. Let's be real. They're truly <laughs> yeah, lovers yeah, for yeah. the most part yeah. that are like, Hey, you can't go do this because yeah. this is where you need to be. This is your life. And then there's mm -hmm. a, a tilting point where they start to realize they're wrong. And they're like, thank God you didn't listen to me for everybody who is trying to figure out how to silence that noise. What do you say to them? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, Cause I struggled with that a lot. Um, you know, I got, like I said, I got an email early on when I took that job and it was like called my job, the wild west. And someone said, I did that. And I came back to the corporate ship. I got, you know, when I was thinking about change coaches and I had the first visions of it, you know, I shared it with someone, with a colleague and he was like, that's no, that's risky. Like, what are you doing? Like, you know how hard that is. And, um, when, when mind you, like, probably 30 minutes before that, he was telling me about how he wanted to make a career change. <laughs> like, yes. but I'm going to do it. It's like the worst thing in the world. <laughs> so I think you have to ask yourself a, a question. And the question I would always ask is, what's prompting this person to, to say something like this, right? Like, take yourself out of it and just ask yourself, what's prompting this person? And that's always worked for me because, um, you know, usually it's like, they don't know better. 
like maybe that's how they or maybe that's how they feel or maybe they maybe they don't believe in you and that's okay like any of those things are okay but just using that as a way to gain knowledge is so much better it's like it's almost like when you start a company and your friends and family are not supporting it like you want and you know i had to ask myself well, why are they not liking my, po I mean, that's so stupid. I, I got over that really quickly. I'm like, why are they not liking my, po oh, they're not my ideal clients. Oh, yeah. they, this isn't really appeal to them. Okay, great. At least I know that I'm appealing to the people that it's supposed to appeal to. So asking yourself those questions. Yeah, I, I love that for two reasons. First of all, that is, I think, the number one thing that allowed me to change relationships that were broken forever is understanding that what I perceived as hateful mm. comments um, was really their perception of what was happening and coming from their point of view and had very little, if anything, to do about me. Um, and so I think the moment that we realize that it takes kind of all of that pressure off for us. Um, I think that the next step to that and what makes this conversation so amazing is asking yourself why you're getting so triggered about it in the first place, right? Like, so mm -hmm. number one, why yeah. are they saying this? Right. And then right. number two, why does it bother me? Right. Like what, what about yeah. this is because you learn so much about yourself mm -hmm. when you start to ask yourself, why do I care in the first mm -hmm. place? Um, this is probably one of the biggest mistakes I see people make when they decide that they're going to start a home-based business, which I'm all for. Like, like <laughs> people can say pyramid schemes all they want to. I don't believe that those really exist as they used to when that was titled, but network marketing is the single genius move for companies ever. Like they don't have overhead. They don't have any of that. Right. But the problem is that people decide they're going to be a stay-at-home mom and sell some product that's like network marketing and that all of their friends are supposed to be the ones that are going to buy it. So they start reaching out to people they've never talked to in, since high school. They start calling their mom <laughs> and their grandma and they're like their best friend, like Astrid. And they're like, buy my stuff. And they say exactly what you just said. This is a horrible idea. I'm not doing it. And instead of saying, these aren't my target market, they say, this must be a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And they walk away. And I think that that's a huge distinction that people need to understand is like, if they're not your people, they're not your people. Like go find your people in whatever you're doing. Right. Right. And, you know, I love that example because it's, it is, why do you care and go on, move on to someone else? I mean, it's, it's also important that you actually like the product and that if you're going to take that on, you've got to know the people that are going to buy that product. And obviously you don't. So maybe it is time to exit. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've never been a big fan of that. I, I know it's, it's a career that a lot of people choose for flexibility, but you, there's a lot more to think about as you said. Yes, I agree. So here's what I love so much about the title of your book. And I want to dig into this before we switch to the success element of this podcast, your book leading below the surface, how to build real real and psychologically safe relationships with people who are different from you. I would venture that the majority of the people who are listening, the majority of people, we can just stop there, don't know what it feels like to be in a psychologically safe relationship at all. What, in your opinion, does a psychologically safe relationship look like? Yeah. So I give a very detailed example in my book and it was about one of my bosses and she was very psychologically safe. I had no idea that that what that term was at the time. I just thought she was in the in crowd, but there's other ways to say that. Uh, but basically, the way that looked is she could 
run a business, do really well one one year, and the next year it could tank, but she still had her job. People still believed in her. People let her, people gave, the company gave her money to invest in, in new company ventures. She could speak up and she was heard and no one would punish her. And she could be right and no one would punish her, or she could be wrong and no one would punish her. But that's what psychological safety feels like. It's almost like you jump and you know there's a trampoline every single time. And that trampoline's gonna bounce you right back up. And that's what she had. A lot of us don't have that trampoline. You're right. And that's why a lot of us don't feel psychologically safe because the organization that we're in doesn't have trampolines, period. Or maybe they only have trampolines for an exclusive population. But that's but that's what it looks and feels like. So for somebody who wants to dig into this a little bit more, for somebody who's intrigued by this idea of a psychologically safe relationship, and then the second part of that is especially building that with people who are different with you or different than you, which I think is a whole next level of conversation, yeah. right? Because we we tend to, when we get uncomfortable, we tend to lash out at things that are different than us. Um, where's the best place for them to find your book so they can dig into this topic a little bit more? Yeah, you could go to leadingbelowthesurface.com and that'll take you to my website. And you can, there's a lot of tools and resources there. So if you're not ready to dive into the book yet, you can, you can uh, look at browse some other tools and resources and start there and order the book later. It's available also on Amazon, pretty much any bookseller. Uh, and it's also an audiobook. Awesome. Um, we will send them to your website first. Um, disrupting leadership. Let's talk about that for just a minute. What do you think the biggest um, misconception that exists right now in the world of leadership is? What do you think is the biggest thing that if we changed it now, the world of leadership would change. Yeah. So there's a couple things I might cheat here, but I like it. <laughs> I mean, I'm an attorney. Uh, I feel like I cheat every day. Passionate topic. <laughs> um, so the first thing I'll talk about is, and I guess they're they're interrelated. Uh, is it, it's called the dominant leadership standard, and I talk about that in my book. And it's this very American style of leadership that was developed by men, right? And it's competition over collaboration, right? Um, it's meritocracy. And we know meritocracies. I mean, as an attorney, you know how dangerous meritocracies are. But things like that, like this dominant standard of this is how leaders are supposed to be. We're supposed to be <laughs> tough. We're supposed to be cutthroat. We got to be competitive. We got to move at speed. We got to be obsessed with our customers. I hate that word when people say that. But it's kind of, isn't it sound gross? But that's it's so that's, bad. Right, like it sounds right, like you're right. It sounds like you're legit trying to like right. I mean, I grew up in a small town in Idaho where we hunt. And that's how people think or, or talk about things that they are legit trying to like bring home and like mount on their wall or eat for dinner. <laughs> like right, it really right. sounds like you're hunting them. Right. It it's so it's changing that standard. And the, the standard has already changed, but the leadership industry hasn't kept up with that. I talk about that a lot where these knowledge perspectives and experiences are still very limited in the leadership field. So if we named our top five leadership books, I'm sure everybody, if you're listening to this, if you name the top, I'm sure like everybody like would have two or three that were similar, like Franklin mm -hmm. Covey, like all the old school stuff that's been around for decades, right? Like you're going to mention that. Is that okay? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's fine if you don't want, if you want to have the same 
knowledge, perspectives, and experiences regurgitated and doesn't really reflect our world today. So that's number one. The number number two thing I'll say is really interesting. McKinsey did a study recently that said belonging was the number one thing employees want at work. Um, and so now instead of having diversity and inclusion, separate department, separate everything, it's got to be part of leadership development. And, and it's beyond diversity and inclusion. It's about belonging. And how do you take diversity and inclusion and equity one step forward. And that's what belonging is. That's when employees have a sense of belonging. They see people that look like them. There's equitable structures and systems. They feel like they, they feel like they're consulted. They feel psychologically safe. And so those are the two. Squashing that dominant leadership standard <laughs> and those words. And number two, it's like seeing that belonging and accepting that belonging is legitimate and it's something that employees want and it's the future of leadership development. I agree with both of those wholeheartedly. And I think it's interesting that the second one specifically goes back to what we were talking about when I asked you what caused you to finally leave your corporate career. Like the first thing you said is, well, my boss that I really liked left and my mm -hmm. and that her boss or his boss that I really liked left. Um, and then you were left with these people that didn't necessarily have that inclusion and you didn't have that relationship. Mm -hmm. Somebody said something to me a while back when I asked him how work was going and they said, it's horrible. And I said, why do you stay? And they said, I love the people I work with. Hmm. And it's crazy how good people can cause a bad work environment to feel like it's not a bad work environment. Mm -hmm. And I think that that going in with that inclusion is just so important. And if you can bring that into leadership, it changes the game. Yeah, I love that. I was reading the other day too, like on the good people conversation that now that environments are more, you know, hybrid and remote, that's even going to be even more important, right? Yeah. Because otherwise people will jump ship uh, right away. And people are, you know, that's another reason why people are so lonely. I mean, they're the loneliest ever because that's, they dependent on that type of interaction. Uh, in their lives in order to, you know, be happy in the world and feel connected in the world. So yeah, those are, those are two different considerations. Yeah. And it's so simple. Like I um, have a law firm that I rent some office front office space from. And I remember when I first started working for them, they had this such a tight knit group of people. And I like studied them. Like, how do they create this? Cause every other law firm I've ever worked in is a dumpster fire of personality conflicts. And um, they celebrated everybody's birthdays. They acknowledged everybody. They had they had cake and sang happy birthday to every single person. Um, they would go out to lunches together as a team. And I'm like, it's so simple to have yeah. everybody just and and instead we have some of these corporations that are like let me give you a spa package and let me give you you know an extra like 10 weeks of vacation and they're spending all of this money on perks and benefits when all people want is a conversation and a birthday cake right right it's crazy uh, yeah there was a something i saw last week it's a really good idea but for their new hybrid environment they're offering an allowance for people to go do things with other people at work. So that's awesome. Uh, you can go to your favorite restaurant and, you know, spot at hundred bucks or whatever to have that dinner with your, with someone at work. And that is, that's such a great idea because you're right. Cause that stuff isolates us even more. Right. And it's, it, it's like, yeah, you need some things that 
benefit the individual, but you also want them to feel a part of the company and part of the community. Yeah, absolutely. So specifically for our business owners and entrepreneurs that may be listening to this, that they left their job. Now they're an entrepreneur leading their company, or maybe they don't have a company and they're a solopreneur and they're craving that connection that they had as an employee somewhere. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs on where they can get that, that connection with others that may not exist anymore because they're not in a large corporation? Yeah, this is hard. And as you know, as an entrepreneur, it's it's always a a uh, balance to figure out what to do. And there's always testing and retesting and going in different directions. And so one of the things that has really helped me recently, when I came out of COVID, when we came out of COVID here, things started opening back up and everybody got vaxxed and all that. Um, I, I realized I was like, gosh, I don't really have anyone that's an entrepreneur that I want to hang out with because I know I was a corporate worker before this. I was like, you know, I was an employee. So I was like, I, I feel like I have no friends. This sucks. <laughs> but what I started doing and I'm just keeping it real. It's always been yeah. I was like, I have no friends. What is me? Like this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and so what I ended up doing uh, and I work with my ops manager who runs my schedule for this. So she blocked off every Friday um, and you know, it's keep that light. And then Monday it's like no coaching, no speaking. Mm. And so now I have Fridays I've, and I have lunch with someone so cool. every Friday. So it's like, it could be a business lunch, but not too businessy, right? Not something that that should go on a Monday if it's too businessy, but maybe like another entrepreneur in Chicago that we might want to collab or maybe to someone that, you know, read my book and I just really liked and we started talking and we just want to have lunch more on a personal level, but, and then I'll maybe sometimes go to events. Um, but yeah, that's for me, I'm like much better one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. So that's been really helpful. Um, and what's happened from that is then I get invited into groups, like, and I can decide whether or not I want to be a part of those groups. And so I strongly suggest that I know instead of trying to go to all these events, like for me, I don't know if you've experienced this too, Amber, but I, when I went to a lot of networking events, I come out feeling more lonely, right? Like I didn't feel I was like, this is not like, no one, everybody's here just to make money. And I'm like, I just want to make, I want, I want to build relationships because that'll lead to partnerships. That'll lead to yeah. connections. And so, so yeah, that, that's helped me a lot are, are the lunch Fridays and networking Fridays. I love that a lot. And I'm laughing because I just got back from this huge event, like a thousand podcasters that came together and it wasn't salesy at all. And it was connection and that's great. Um, However, there's like this connection meter that you can have before you're like, I'm out. And I remember I was talking to a few people. I went and watched, um, I was in Orlando and I went and watched the new Top Gun movie and a bunch of people were going out to dinner for the last night there. And they called me and they're like, Hey, do you want to come? And I said, no, I'm going to go watch Top Gun. And they're like, oh, we could do that instead. I'm like, it wasn't an invitation. Did you say that? <laughs> like I love you and like I can't do any more of this like I need some me time so I think that what you're talking about is so amazing of yeah. um as entrepreneurs I think that we end up thinking that we have to fill our plates so much to get it done that we forget about the personal time of connection and the boundaries that we need to set of when we're going to work and when we're not going to work and this I mean I opened my business five years ago and I'm just learning that it's okay to not always be available, right? It's been a five-year process. 
So I think that setting that time and saying, I'm blocking this out of my calendar. I'm going to choose who I spend it with. I'm going to be intentional about it. And I'm going to create connection intentionally. I think that's a game changer. Mm -hmm. It's been so great for an introvert like me. You know, I don't like all that. Like, I don't like all that people. I compared it to, I think I actually, I messaged somebody, I think it was my coach. And I said, whatever the equivalent of hangry for energy is, I'm about to hit it. Like if I don't get out of this room right now, I'm going to lose my shit. Right. So, and whoever's around me, like, it's not okay. Like nobody wants a hangry Amber. I'm uncomfortable. I don't even want a hangry Amber. I am not happy. Um, And I was like at that moment where I was like, nope, out we go. Energetically hangry is a thing. Um, so I want to switch to the success element part of this for just a minute. You mentioned something when we were talking about dominant leadership that made me smile. And you said, this Mm -hmm. is how leadership should look. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that word, this is how X, anything should look Mm -hmm. are words and sentences that should be eliminated from my vocabulary. And one Mm -hmm. of those for me was success. It's the reason I have a bunch of certifications on my wall. It's a reason I sought for a six-figure income because that's what I was always told success looked like. And then I spent the last six years pedaling back to figure out what it actually is. So I ask every single one of my guests for you, what does success look and feel like? How do you define it for yourself? Yeah. So for me, I do... I define it annually. So each mm-hmm. year I it's like I have a season every year and it, it can change. And and so uh for first for one year it was just starting the business, you know, and then the next year it was like, you know, I said, okay, I'm gonna have a full-time job and this the side business, I wanna generate twenty five thousand dollars. And then the next year it was like tripling, doubling that or doubling that and doubling that. And um, now it's gotten to the point where it's all right. So success for me is working with clients that love me, that love us and that I love feeling like I'm making change in the world and feeling like I still find time for joy for myself. And that's what success looks like. It's not the plaques. It's not all that. I mean, again, all of that gets you the credibility to get in front of those clients that you want to be with. But beyond that, it's like, it's really about joy. And yes. are you, are you, do you have joy? Are you in the right communities? Um, you know, are you connected? And I don't mean like connected to the cool kids. I mean, like, <laughs> are you connected to the world in a meaningful way? Right. And, mm. and that's, that's what I mean. It's like having a living a values-based life. Yeah. Um, I don't, so first of all, I'm just, I, I'm stumbling over my words because your cool kids impression was the best I've ever seen. So it's like the way it it, it was great. Um, What do you think that people should look out for as the warning signs for when they're not connected? Because I think that there are some, and I think they're different for everyone, but I also think there's some overlap. So I'm curious to know your opinion on that when they need to reassess their connection focus. If you're truly connected and you're truly aligned with your values, everything feels natural. I'm not saying it's it's not going to be hard or challenging sometimes, but that's different. Going uphill for a little bit is different from, you know, like jumping, you know, uh, off a cliff, right? So, um, 
that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, are you going up a cliff slow and steadily? Or are you trying to climb like a 50 foot wall, right? And the 50 foot wall would be really hard to do. And so it's, it's assessing, hey, is this natural for me? And again, it doesn't mean you can't grow. Um, I had one of those moments recently where I was considering bringing a different product into our business. And I was like, I don't know, like this isn't natural. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like a growth curve or anything like, it was just like, it just felt like a mismatch. And there's something in my body and you just have to pay attention to it where I was like, this is going to, this feels like a pain in the ass. It didn't feel exciting, <laughs> right? And so that's what I mean is, um, you know, and people say, hey, you have to go where the market wants you to go. Well, yeah, but then find a different market, right? If you're doing something and you're, you're, you're just doing things that you, someone puts you in that box and you, it doesn't really feel natural, then don't do it and find yeah. something. And, and so that's what I mean by that. It's so simple and not easy at all, but it's so simple. Just like do the things that make you feel good. Um, and I think it's, I'm glad that you said what you said about it not always being easy because I see these people all the time that like fight for things that they shouldn't be fighting for. And then when they finally choose to let go, they go on this like energetic, almost free fall of happiness. And then they keep trying to recreate that. And it's this constant up and down because they've never found that leveling um, ability to connect with themselves. So I love that you mentioned, like, it's not always supposed to be easy ever, but you're always supposed to have this idea of when it could pay off for you. And if you don't have that and you can't identify that, then I think that's a problem. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting that we're talking about this because you always hear the story, like even the other day, you know, I'm in a part of a lot of ICF coach communities and there's always someone in there like each week in one of those, in one of those communities that says, okay, I, I got the million dollar business and I'm not happy because they were going for the million dollar business. Yes, they, they weren't thinking about their joy. They weren't thinking about their values. So they basically gave everything up to build. And I'm not saying you can't have a $1 million business in a connected way. You can, but it, it's just, there's, it's like what you said, Amber, you, the plaques, like they yeah. make thing. Once you get it, it's like, oh, who's going to look at this? There's me. Okay. Yeah. Well, what's the point of this? Right. Yeah. I was so devastated because um, I worked my ass off in law school and um, I had to make up for not working my ass off in undergrad. And I um, graduated towards the top of my class. And I remember going to one of my first job interviews with the public defender's office and I took my transcript because I was so freaking excited of it. And I remember the public defender, I got to the final interview and I said, don't you want to see this? And he's like, I really hate to be the one to break it to you. Nobody cares. Nobody cares where you went to school. Nobody cares what your transcript looks like. The only thing they care about is whether you can call yourself an attorney and whether you can defend their clients. That's it. If you want somebody who cares, then you're going to be working in the basement in a dungeon where somebody wants you to research and write and do all their dirty work, not Mm. living your real life. And I was like, I really wish somebody would have told me this before I tried so hard. Right. (laughs) Right. Like, like, I mean, I say that jokingly, right? But we, we put our focus on the wrong thing and it's normally right. because we think it's going to fix something right. and then it doesn't. And then we're like, well, shit, now I'm, I'm, um, exhausted. I'm still unhappy. Um, but thank God for that plaque on the wall. Right. Cause at least I got that. So, 
I love it. it I, this conversation is is so is, fueling and so it's, important. It's really good. You know, it, it's interesting. I I want to comment on one little thing, but um, you know, I know I'm in a different place because I I really want to participate in an accelerator, a growth accelerator, because um, I I'm kind of I'm there, but I I just need some dedicated time. Yeah. And one of the ones I'm looking at is Dartmouth, a talk. Mm. And, and it's like, it's not even because it's Dartmouth. It's because, you know, it's that's because it's they have the program. And yeah. and so it's like when you when you get over that, you're like, oh, it's not even about yeah. that. Like, I don't even care that it's Dartmouth. I just want a good education. Right. Yeah. And I need to want a good accelerator. And so I'm still drilling them with questions because I want to make sure this is right. Yeah. And, and how often do they come up back with you with, of course, it's right at Startmouth, right? Right, like, right, right. Like, like, that's, that's, not, <laughs> no. that's not actually real, right? Um, somebody once said to me, for us that don't have Dartmouth behind our name, um, somebody once said to me, um, people will care. People don't care about your name until they know what you can do for them. Right. Or people don't care about who you are until they know that you care about what mm -hmm. their problem is, right? right? So we all have problems we're trying to solve. And the biggest example of this for me was like you introduce yourself to people and it's like they don't even listen and then all of a sudden something clicks that they're like oh wait I care about that wait what's your name again how many times do we say right. this right like right I don't remember now I need to know who you are that, I, that is such a good point it always yeah what, what's your name what, what ooh, yeah oh, yeah yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's, like let's give me your book again. What's that? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, now yeah. you said something yeah. I care about. So let me listen. Right. Right. It's so crazy. Um, so for, I want you to, I want to have you give your website one more time so that people can continue this conversation. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, if people want to continue, want to reach out to you, want to keep learning about what it feels like to have psychologically safe relationships and be able to really dig into the way you're changing leadership, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah. Leadingbelowthesurface.com. And again, if you're either, you could dive into the book there, you could find different ways to purchase it. Or you could just access our tools and resources. We have a resource library that if you're not ready yet, we have a 30-day below the surface challenge that you might want to try before purchasing the book. So you can do that too. Awesome. I want to wrap up with a quick random round if you're okay with that. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Um, if you could have any profession other than what you're doing now, what do you think would be fun to attempt? Any profession. Ooh. Um... I would say acting. I'm taking Ooh. a yeah, yeah. I would. I'm taking a uh, improv class, so I would love to continue exploring that. I think that you'll have to let me know how your experiences go. I've been yeah. told. Um, I've been working on getting on more stages as a speaker, Ooh. and I've been told that the number one way to do that is to take improv classes, it's, and they terrify me. So you gotta let do me it. know how that works. Like yeah, for it's, you. it's great. Uh, awesome. I will. I'm biased, but we'll we'll talk about that when we have our call. Yes, yes. Um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Uh, I would probably go 20 years into the future to see if we ever figure out this climate change thing. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I want to know the answer to that question. Um, what book have you gifted or recommended the most to people? Uh, Give and Take by Adam Grant. So it's about give and, givers and takers. Awesome. And um, I'm a giver. And so it was nice to be able to see there's other people like me. 
That's awesome. Does that book also teach you how to tap into the other qualities of the other yeah. side that you may not naturally be? Yeah. Yeah. It, it teaches you how to tap into the other side and, you know, into the taker side. It also discusses why givers are a gift to the world. And so That's awesome. it's, 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 uh, it kind of destigmatizes being a giver. That's amazing. Um, if you could give yourself, or actually let me rephrase this. If there's one piece of information, tool, resource, whatever you choose that you wish you would have known earlier, what is it? That I could succeed in starting my own business. Mm -hmm. I wish I would have, I wish I would have known that. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's still a good time for me to do it, but I wish I would have known this in my twenties. Yeah. I, I overcomplicated it. And I had all these thoughts that I couldn't do that. Or who do you think you are to do this? And so, yeah, I wish I didn't have those thoughts in my head. I love that. And the last question, what's your pump up song? I'm a music nerd. I always have to know. What do you listen to when you have to have a good day? Uh, I would say, gosh, what, what is on my playlist these days? Um, I like Made Away by Bobby Sessions. That's a good one. Yeah. Awesome. Latanya, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I love where the conversation went and how uh, much we were able to dig into some of the issues with leadership and, and psychological safety and just connecting with others. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I look forward to and encourage people to check out your book. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was a great convo. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that sounds like something that you're interested in. The name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.